The local government news roundup is proudly supported by Davidson. For 30 years, Davidson has been strengthening the local government sector by identifying and providing the people, expertise and experience that local government needs to enhance its capability, productivity and performance. Davidson is nationally recognised for its executive recruitment services and over the past four years has built a business advisory practice rapidly evolving into one of the nation's foremost and trusted local government business consultancy firms. The Davidson methodology and approach is simple. Thinking beyond now and aiming to be a valued partner with your local government, not just for the immediate project, but for the next 30 years. Speak to Justin Hanney or Seamus Scanlon to find out more or head to davidsonwp.com.au. Davidson, your future, your partner. This is Chris Eddy, it's Local Government News Roundup time. Coming up today, the Victorian local government sector responds to the state government's announced housing and planning reforms. Councils react to the New South Wales state budget. A council GM's employment terminated at the third attempt. Mayoral election results from across New South Wales. A high-profile mayor found to have engaged in misconduct, aggressive behaviour against and by council candidates in Western Australia, with one councillor charged with stealing. And a South Australian council appoints its new CEO. Just some of the many local government stories that are getting our attention today. Let's round them up. Thanks for tuning in to the Local Government News Roundup, which is brought to you by the Victorian Local Governance Association, the national broadcaster on all things local government, and by Snapsend Solve, in the business of keeping shared spaces safe, clean and great to be in. The big story in Victorian local government this week has been the government's announced housing and planning reforms. If you haven't listened to it already, check your podcast queue for a breaking news update I released on Wednesday, which will give you the main points in about three minutes. I won't repeat that today. Instead, we'll focus on how the sector has responded to the announcements. The sector's peak body, the MAV, released two statements in one day the first of which said it was encouraged by the statement, highlighting the need for a meaningful partnership with local government to ensure successful implementation. It said the short-stay rental accommodation levy was a good start and reiterated research that dispelled claims that council planning processes are a significant cause of the housing crisis. Later in the day, the MAV revealed that the government had already gazetted changes to all planning schemes, noting that no consultation had occurred with the MAV or with councils. MAV Deputy President Joseph Hawil, who is the Mayor of Hume City Council, said there are concerns the Planning Minister has been given the power to reduce or remove a requirement for 10% affordable housing in residential developments without any guidelines about when that would be appropriate. Gazetting planning scheme changes um, uh, without consulting councils at all um, is obviously less than ideal, in fact, unacceptable to us as a sector. Uh, I think that we are coming to the table um, with a very open uh, and transparent and reasonable approach, if I can use that word, but I think that has to be reciprocated as well. 120,000 permits have been issued for townhouses and 
uh, units uh, by councils that have not even been acted upon by the sector. So there is that question there about uh, how do we ensure that the sector uh, is not delaying things uh, only to deliver them when economic times are better for them and to maximise their profits. Uh, that, that has to be addressed as well. Hugh Mayor, Joseph Hawil there. Those comments are from an interview I've recorded with Joseph for the next Local Leaders episode from VLGA Connect, which drops on Tuesday. On Thursday morning, the Premier and the Planning Minister released a further statement providing more detail on the package of reforms to the planning system. In that statement, the government criticised councils for a backlog of 1,400 planning permits for multi-unit housing, with 550 of those waiting for more than a year for approval. It said those projects had a development value of over $10 million and would deliver nearly 5,000 new homes. It took particular aim at Yarra City Council for the time taken to process applications and Stonington Council for the number of applications rejected for neighbourhood character reasons. Yarra City Council responded, saying that in the last financial year it had approved approximately 10% of dwellings in the Greater Melbourne area and is doing the heavy lifting for housing supply. It said 98% of planning applications received during that time had been approved by the council. The council also said that while local government has been criticised by the state for not meeting a 60-day time frame, it appeared to have set a four-month time frame for its own new streamlined planning process. Stonington City Council also issued a statement in response to government criticism, saying that over the past two years it had reviewed more than 3,000 applications, approved 98% of them, while refusing just 65 applications. Other sector bodies have released statements, most reacting cautiously to the week's announcements and with a general tone of awaiting further details before assessing potential impacts. The commitment to building 152,000 homes in regional and rural Victoria was welcomed by Rural Councils Victoria. Its chair, Councillor Marianne Brown, said the group wanted to understand how measures to make it easier to build a small home would work in rural settings where larger blocks can accommodate several small houses or larger garden units. Perry Urban Councils Victoria also welcomed the statement, which it said contains key initiatives that can ease pressure on a tight housing market in the short term. However, it noted that the reduction of community involvement in a bid for a more efficient planning system could create local tensions. ABC News ran a story late Wednesday with more reaction, quoting several regional mayors who welcomed the short-stay accommodation levy. But most were concerned that only 25% of the revenue raised would be invested back into housing in the regions, noting that nearly half of the state's short-stay accommodation properties are in the regions. Hepburn Mayor Brian Hood said that the 25% share was problematic for his council and that it would prefer funds raised in the Shire were invested back into housing needs in the Shire. Warrnambool Mayor Debbie Arnott called for a greater share, saying regional areas are often overlooked in favour of the city. And Bass Coast Mayor Michael Whelan said that there should have been more consultation in developing the measures, noting that it was now unclear how his council's work on a local law around short-stay accommodation could be progressed in light of the government's announcement. That's a rundown of many of the responses that have emerged since the government's announcements on Wednesday morning. You'll find links to all of those statements and media stories in the transcripts for this episode on www.lgnewsroundup.com. 
Let's now look at just a few other news items from Victoria for this edition. Latrobe City Council has announced that it will return to in-person council meetings next month. The council took its meetings online in July in response to months of disruptive behaviour from members of the public. A review of in-person proceedings has been conducted and some new measures will be implemented to ensure orderly conduct of meetings. These will include pre-registration through an online booking system and a requirement to provide photo ID on arrival. Attendance is limited to 60 due to the capacity of the meeting room and anyone wishing to speak to an item on the agenda can register to do so before midday on the day of the meeting. The council said it remains committed to transparency and accessibility and will continue live streaming meetings. Briefly in other news, an Aboriginal gathering place in the city of Whittlesea is a step closer, with the council appointing a contractor for design and construction this week. The centre will be built at Quarry Hills Regional Parkland, with construction to commence mid-next year, with an opening targeted for 2025. Greater Shepparton City Council has decided to cease hosting and supporting Australia Day activities on the 26th of January from next year. The decision follows a community consultation process which demonstrated strong support for changing how the council acknowledges the day and support to continue marking Australia Day on that date. The council will also continue its advocacy to the government for a change of date for Australia Day. Maribyrnong City Council is another to have recently decided to move its citizenship ceremonies away from the 26th of January. It's also decided to hold a coming out day event next month in support of its LGBTIQA plus community. The event to be held on the 11th of October will coincide with National Coming Out Day. And Swan Hill Rural City Council has rectified a 12-year mistake, removing a beard from a statue of Australia's first female riverboat skipper. The mistake was brought to the attention of the council by the grandson of Captain Pearl Wallace. The ABC reports that the beard appeared on the statue when it was repainted because of flood damage in 2011. The council consulted with Captain Wallace's descendants and an artist before correcting the statue's appearance. You're listening to the Local Government News Roundup with Chris Eddy. Moving on to our National Roundup segment now. It's very New South Wales heavy today. There's lots happening in that state. Victoria's new short-stay accommodation levy is being closely watched across the border, with the New South Wales government expected to review its regulations at the end of this year. ABC News reports that a number of mayors in the state's tourism destinations see room for improvement with the Victorian approach. Shoalhaven Mayor Amanda Findlay wants councils to have more control of any similar approach, while Byron Mayor Michael Lyon said the levy would not create a disincentive for people buying properties for short-term leasing. Tourism representatives want to see more detail of Victoria's strategy and are keen to see how short-term accommodation will be classified given there are multiple versions and uses in the short-term space. New South Wales Housing Minister Rose Jackson said all options are on the table at this point. An attempt to overturn a decision by Karingai Council to terminate the employment of its general manager, John McKee, has failed at the second attempt. Consideration of a rescission motion was delayed after the council could not maintain a quorum at an extraordinary meeting last week. 
The matter was dealt with in public at this week's council meeting, with a majority of councillors voting against a motion to reverse the termination decision and to extend the GM's contract by 12 months. That decision was followed by a late item of business, confirming the appointment of the council's director corporate to act in the role of general manager and to commence a recruitment process to fill the position. It has engaged local government New South Wales management solutions to conduct the recruitment and expects to make an appointment of a new general manager in December. A number of regional and rural New South Wales mayors have reacted to this week's state budget. Here's a look at what some of them have said. Singleton Mayor Sue Moore says she's devastated at the loss of resources for regions grant funding in the budget. The program ensures communities that are directly affected by mining activities receive their fair share of the royalties generated from their region. The Singleton region is expected to contribute $2.7 billion in coal royalties over the next four years alone. Mayor Moore is hopeful that a new regional development trust fund will deliver much-needed funding for Singleton. The Mayor of Cowrishire, Bill West, says he's very disappointed by a state government decision to scrap plans for an upgrade of Wyangala Dam. The Burrower News this week reports that the central west towns and communities will now face greater risks from droughts and floods because of the decision not to raise the dam wall. Councillor West questioned how $4 billion could be spent on light rail in the city, but no money be allocated for food and water security and flood mitigation in a part of the state that is crucial for regional growth and development. But at Liverpool Plains, Mayor Doug Hawkins is thankful that the Werris Creek bypass will go ahead. He told the Northern Daily Leader that he had been concerned the $4.5 million project would suffer from budget cuts, but was pleased to see it retained as part of the Restart New South Wales Fund. A draft plan that was expected to bring a unified approach to transport in the twin cities of Albury-Wodonga is in doubt after Wodonga Council rejected a recommendation to put it out for community consultation. The Border Mail reports that the Council's decision comes after Albury Council approved it unanimously earlier in the month, pending endorsement by its neighbour council. Wodonga Mayor Ron Mildren said the plan had very narrow outcomes, was based on wrong assumptions and favoured cycling and walking over cars. He told the Border Mail that the plan had been given back to staff to, quote, have a think about. Now for some mayoral election updates. Bear with me, there's a few to get through. At Karingai Council this week, before they voted to terminate the employment of the general manager, a new mayor was elected. Councillor Sam Nye won a contested vote against incumbent Jeff Pettit, while Councillor Christine Kay was elected unopposed as deputy mayor. Councillor Neil Riley will continue as Mayor of Kiama Municipal Council after being re-elected at a council meeting this week. He'll be supported by re-elected Deputy Mayor Imogen Draisma. At Wollongong, the council has re-elected Councillor Tanya Brown as Deputy Lord Mayor at a council meeting on Monday. Gunnedah Shire councillors have re-elected the leadership team of Mayor Jamie Chaffee and Deputy Mayor Rob Hook for a further 12 months. A changing of the guard at Bathurst Regional Council where Jess Jennings has taken on the mayoralty from Robert Taylor. Councillor Jennings was reported to have hit the ground running with a meeting on Thursday with New South Wales Premier Chris Minns to discuss Bathurst-related matters and was expected to raise the issue of cost-shifting in the meeting. A former mayor returns to the position at Bayside Council. Bill Saravanovsky was elected to the mayoralty on Wednesday with Joe Awada appointed as Deputy Mayor. At Upper Lachlanshire, Mayor Pam Kensett and Deputy Mayor Mandy MacDonald have been re-elected to their positions for the forthcoming 12 months.
Inner West Council has elected its youngest ever deputy mayor. 29-year-old Chloe Smith was chosen by councillors at a meeting this week. At Parkshire, Neil Westcott has taken on the mayoralty in his second council term, with Ken Keith OAM stepping down after 17 years in the role. Councillor Marg Appleby has been appointed deputy mayor. Councillor Westcott is just the fifth mayor at Parks in the last 57 years. Juni Shire Council also has a new mayor. Bob Callow has been elected to the position, taking over from Neil Smith, who has stepped down after nine years as mayor. The leadership team at Liverpool Plains Shire remains unchanged. Doug Hawkins and Ken Cudmore have retained the mayor and deputy mayor positions in what the country leader described as a swift election this week. Similarly, at Blaney Shire, Mayor Scott Ferguson and Deputy Mayor David Somervale were re-elected unopposed at a council meeting on Tuesday, as reported by the Central Western Daily. Goulburn Mulwari Shire has re-elected Peter Walker as mayor in a two-way vote contested by fellow councillor Bob Kirk. The vote was 6-3 to three in favour of councillor Walker. Steve Ruddell was re-elected as deputy mayor. Councillor Craig Davies has been elected unopposed as mayor and Councillor Dawn Collins unopposed as deputy mayor of Narromine Shire Council. Councillor Davies has held that mayoralty position for seven years. Leeton Shire has announced the re-election of Councillor Tony Renneker as mayor and Councillor Michael Kidd as deputy. And at Tweed Shire, Chris Cherry has been re-elected as mayor for a third term. She was the only nomination for the position, but it was not without controversy. Councillors James Owen and Rhiannon Brinsmead left the meeting in protest, saying later that they don't support the process of electing the mayor. This follows a failed attempt in August to get the council to agree to a referendum on whether the Tweed Shire mayor should be directly elected. I'm keeping a running list of these mayoral results on the LG News Roundup website.com if you prefer to read it rather than hear me rattle off the results. But if I've missed any, there's a lot going on, please do let me know so we can keep that list up to date. A couple of quick stories from elsewhere before the international spotlight. A councillor conduct tribunal has found that Gold Coast Mayor Tom Tate engaged in misconduct when he charged ratepayers for two annual memberships to the Titans Football Club. It also found that he should not have asked the city to reimburse thousands of dollars in donations on five occasions between 2016 and 2018, according to a report from ABC News. The tribunal has ordered councillor Tate to make a public admission of misconduct at a council meeting, ordered him to pay a penalty of $2,322 relating to the football club memberships and the purchase of audiovisual equipment, and he'll also be required to undergo training on the council's expense and reimbursement policy. Councillor Tate said he'll be appealing the decision to the Queensland Civic and Administrative Appeals Tribunal. In Western Australia, it's election season, as we know, and it's delivering some unsavoury outcomes. A first-time candidate for election in the city of Swan has faced aggressive abuse on his campaign journey. Manny Singh believes a rogue individual defaced his signs with abusive language and stole many others. Police are investigating the incidents by reviewing CCTV footage. WA Today reports that experienced former councillor Kevin Bailey, who is now running for mayor, has also had signs vandalised and he believes the tension between potential and current councillors has escalated and become increasingly abusive and personal. He says the aggressive tactics are linked to changes such as the introduction of the preferential voting system. 
Meanwhile, in the city of Canning, a councillor has been charged over the theft of election signage. Police arrested and charged councillor Jesse Jacobs with stealing core flutes, at least some of which belong to Canning Mayor Patrick Hall, who has called on councillor Jacobs to resign. Here are some national briefs. Snowy Monaro Regional Council has issued a statement expressing disappointment in a councillor's use of language at a council meeting this week. The statement said the language used by Councillor Craig Mitchell towards Councillor Louise Frolich was inappropriate and that personal attacks and name-calling have no place in the council or at its meetings. It acknowledged that Councillor Mitchell had quickly apologised for the offensive remark. Eric Brown has been announced as the new CEO at the city of Port Lincoln in South Australia following the recent departure of Matthew Morgan. Mr Brown has been CEO at Flinders Rangers Council for four years and will undergo induction and handover in mid-November before taking pre-arranged leave and commencing formally in January. And Mount Gambia City Council will keep its Australia Day awards ceremony on the 26th of January for next year. It has, however, decided to move its citizenship ceremony to the 24th of January and will consider further changes to Australia Day programming. Now on the Local Government News Roundup. It's time for the International Spotlight. The state of the local government sector in the UK continues to give us plenty to talk about. New research out this week has found that more than £15 billion of public assets has been sold by English councils over the past 13 years. The sell-off of around 75,000 assets has been largely to plug budget holes, according to the think tank IPPR and as reported by The Guardian. The data comes as Birmingham City Council plans to sell more more assets to help address its £87 million shortfall this financial year, projected to rise to £165 million in 2024-25. Birmingham has already sold more assets than any other council in the last nine years. Asset sales to fund funding shortfalls became possible with a change to the law in 2016, which meant councils no longer had to put proceeds from sales towards new public assets. Harrow Council in northwest London has revised plans to fine people for feeding ducks in a local park after a public outcry. Initially, the council proposed a public space protection order that would have imposed a £100 fine on individuals feeding the birds. The council cited concerns about public health nuisance, but residents argued it would deprive them of a simple pleasure. The BBC reports that the council has now decided to designate a specific area in the park for duck feeding, which is expected to be implemented early next year. Other parks in the borough will be assessed individually before similar designated areas are established. Meanwhile, Newham Council has faced criticism for issuing £150 fines to pensioners for feeding birds in one of its parks. The council defended the fines by stating that bird feeding can attract vermin. However, some have deemed the fines punitive and called for a reconsideration. In the US, domestic violence allegations have led to the resignation of a mayor in Wyoming. Bruce Nell, the mayor of Casper since 2020, has denied accusations that he physically attacked his wife. But he says the allegations have damaged his reputation to a point where stepping down from his position has become necessary. The Casper City Council moved quickly to elect a new mayor and deputy mayor and a replacement councillor for the remainder of the current term, which runs out in January. 
And in Portland, Maine, a council meeting has been Zoom-bombed this week, bringing the city's mayor to tears before calling for a pause in proceedings. The incident occurred during the meeting's public comment section, with several people spewing off-topic or racist comments, according to local news station WABI5. The council has apparently been dealing with regular disruptions to its online meetings, and its communications director says the remote policy is under review to see what changes could be made. Well, hopefully you feel like you're up to date after that bumper edition of The Roundup, recorded on the 23rd of September 2023, and brought to you by the Victorian Local Governance Association, with support from Solve. You can find links to the stories referenced in the episode and a full transcript at www.lgnewsroundup.com. While you're there, check out our latest breaking news updates and learn how you can support The Roundup by becoming a subscriber through a small monthly contribution, which you can cancel at any time. The September edition of Roundup Unfiltered has been available for the past week to subscribers exclusively. It becomes available for everyone tomorrow. Look out for that in your podcast feed. The Roundup is recorded in the city of Greater Geelong, Victoria, on the land of the Wadawurrung people of the Kulin Nation. I'll have more local government news for you next week. Until next time, thanks for listening and bye for now. I'm delighted to welcome a new supporting sponsor to the local government news roundup family. It's Ventio, a leading essential infrastructure services provider, redefining service excellence for communities across Australia and New Zealand. Ventio is operating at over 400 sites and with a large and diverse workforce of over 35,000. They specialise in the long-term operation, maintenance and management of critical public and private assets and infrastructure across a broad range of industry segments, including defence and social infrastructure, infrastructure services, telecommunications and transport. For local government, Ventia specialises in the end-to-end delivery of open space management, soft and hard facilities management, street cleansing, minor capital works and much more. Ventia brings capability in whole-of-life asset management and robust use of data for better decision-making for their clients. Ventia, making infrastructure work sustainably for our communities. Head to ventia.com to find out more.